Today we're going to look at The Lord is Forgiving. It's um, an incredible thing to think about when we, we look at God's character. The Lord is forgiving. And it's a blessing for me to be able to speak on this. There's so much I could say, Old Testament, New Testament, about how forgiving God is. And so, like I say, I'm just going to scratch the surface and I'll explain a little bit about how I want to do that in a moment. But first of all, we're basing this series on Exodus chapter 34, verses six to seven. So just let me read that as we begin. It says this. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Some really encouraging bits in there, but some really challenging bits as well, isn't there? And we're trying in this series to cover it all. So uh, I'll scratch the surface of some of this, as I've said. So let's dive in and start looking at the Lord is forgiving. In January 2003, up in Manchester, the police did a raid on a terrorist house. And a man called, a police officer called DC Stephen Oak, was involved in that raid and this is a picture of him here on screen. Now he went into the house and went into the kitchen and found one of the terrorists hiding under the kitchen table and this man was armed with a knife and as Stephen Oak tried to arrest him he was stabbed by this man and would, and then died a few days later. Now Stephen Oak's father, a man called Robin Oak, was at the time a chief constable, very, very senior police officer, chief constable of the Isle of Man police at the time. And he attracted some media interest, of course, because the story was all over the media. But him, Robin Oak, the father, being a very senior police officer, the press wanted to speak to him. And they approached him and said, could we do a press conference with you? And Robin Oak agreed. And so I think in the days after the murder, he did this this press conference and he was asked a number of questions by different members of the press and one member of the press asked him a question like this he said how do you feel about the man who killed your son and Robin Oak being a Christian man wanted to respond in the right way and he thought about it for a moment and then he said words similar to this he said I forgive him and I pray that God forgives him too what incredible words in just the days after your son had been brutally murdered to come before the cameras as a chief constable as well, where the police are supposed they're not supposed to forgive people, are they? They're supposed to punish people. They're supposed to bring people to court. They're supposed to instill justice and make sure people receive justice for crimes they commit. They're not supposed to forgive people, are they? But here he was speaking as a father saying, I forgive him, and I pray that God forgives him as well. What an incredible response. And we're going to unpack something of the forgiveness of God, but also the need for us to forgive others as well, if we're going to receive God's forgiveness. I'll refer to that a little bit later. But I want to just dive in and look at forgiveness. Like I said, we could look at the Old Testament, we could look at the New Testament. This God's forgiveness just runs right throughout the Bible. But I can't do it all today, but what I want to do is just focus a little bit in on the life of Jesus. 
And it says in Hebrews chapter one, oh, there's a picture of Robin Oak. I forgot to put that up. Uh, in Hebrews chapter one, it says this in the New International Version. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So the sun, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Interestingly, in the New Living Translation, it says this, the same verse, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Isn't that incredible? The sun, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And so when we're looking at the character of God, what a good thing to do to dive into the life of Jesus and to look at what Jesus did, how Jesus expressed forgiveness, how he related to the people that he met. And I want to look at Luke's gospel today. I'm going to pick up on a number of different things because I want to show you how Jesus' forgiveness, God's forgiveness, just runs throughout the gospel and indeed the other gospels and indeed, as I've said, right throughout the Bible. But let me, I'm going to dive into a few more specific passages in a bit, but let me just start with an overview just of a few things in Luke's gospel. So Luke 1, 76 to 78, this is part of Zechariah's song after John the Baptist was born. It says this, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Isn't that beautiful? How John the Baptist was going to prepare the way, go before Jesus to for Jesus to come in and just show the forgiveness of God to people and the tender mercy of God. I just think that's beautiful, beautiful description of God, his tender mercy and forgiveness. In Luke 6, 37, it says this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Just starting to pick up on that need, if we're going to receive God's forgiveness, to also extend forgiveness to other people. But forgive and you will be forgiven. We will receive God's forgiveness. Luke 11 verse 4, this is part of the Lord's Prayer. Interestingly, Jesus teaching his disciples to ask God for forgiveness because God is so willing to forgive. Jesus encouraging his disciples, ask for it. It says this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Again, asking for forgiveness, but knowing that we need to extend forgiveness as well. Almost like the measure of how much we forgive will be the measure of how much we are forgiven. It's repeated again and again in scripture. And then in Luke 18 verses 9 to 14, really interesting narrative here about a Pharisee and a tax collector. I'll talk about Pharisees a little bit more in a moment. But the Pharisee comes in as one who tries to just obey all the laws and thinks that he'll please God by obeying laws. And he comes into the temple to pray and he said, I thank you, Lord. I'm not like this tax collector because he gives 10 percent of what he has. He does all these different things. He lists off a few of how he's obeying the law and and doing it right that way and then the tax collector comes in beating his chest saying lord have mercy on me a sinner and it says that it's the tax collector that went away justified because he's the one who was repentant before god knew that he was sinful but came before god and said god forgive me and he went away 
justified. And there's something about that posture of repentance before God that's so important to receive his forgiveness. And then Luke 17, three to four, talks about even if someone sins against us seven times a day, we'll forgive them seven times. Again, encouraging us, if we're going to receive God's forgiveness, to freely give it out as well. Even if someone sins against us seven times a day, forgive seven times. And then on the cross, in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus, after he's been spat at, after he's been beaten, whipped, after he's had a crown of thorns put on his head, after he's had insult after insult hurled at him, hanging on a cross, dying for the people that are doing this to him, as well as everyone else who's ever lived, ever will live. Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Even in that moment on the cross, what a display of God's heart of forgiveness. In that moment, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then in Luke 24, in verse 46, this is Jesus speaking after his resurrection. He says this, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Here again, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If we come before God poor in spirit, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes, if we come before him repentant, then he will forgive us. And we need to remember that. That's the posture we need to have before God. And if we come that way, then he will forgive us. Powerful examples of God's forgiveness, but also clear reminders in scripture here in Luke's gospel to be ready to extend forgiveness to other people. I just want to focus in a little bit now on Luke chapter five, because I was reading this and I'd encourage you to read this. If you're if you're on catch up, maybe you want to pause and just read all of Luke chapter five or maybe at some point read the chapter because it's really encouraging in terms of different examples of God's forgiveness. I just want to very quickly pick out a few. So first of all, in, let me get my clicker on, in verse eight, this is when Jesus calls Simon Peter. There's this miraculous catch of fish. And then Jesus is speaking with Simon Peter and Simon Peter says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He's coming in repentance, recognizing his need of God, recognizing his sinfulness. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And this is how Jesus responds. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. What a response from Jesus to this man who by his own omission is a sinful man. Jesus forgives him. Jesus comforts him. Don't be afraid. But Jesus also calls him to something. And I want to just quickly remind us that if we've had sin, well, we all have, haven't we? The sin in our past doesn't define our future. If we come before God repentant, if we fall on our knees like Simon Peter did and we're repentant and we, we acknowledge our sin, then Jesus will forgive us. Yes, he'll comfort us. Yes, but he'll also call us. Don't let your calling go because you're ashamed or you think I've done this in the past. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Allow Jesus to forgive you and then step into the calling he has for you. In verse 12, Luke chapter 5, we have 
a story of a man with leprosy. Now, leprosy was a defiling skin disease. It made someone unclean. It meant that they were separated from society. It meant that people didn't want to be with them, certainly not touch them, certainly not associate. They were associate with them. They were cast out from society if they had leprosy. And this man comes before Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds, I am willing, be clean. I am willing, be clean. This is our forgiving God who's so willing to make us clean. If you need healing, if you need restoring, if you need to be freed from any sinfulness in your past, then Jesus comes to you wanting to make you clean. He is willing. He was willing for this man and he's willing for you as well. In verse 20, we've got this great story of a paralyzed man who wants to get to Jesus, but Jesus is teaching in a house and the house is full. He can't get in. There's no room. And he's brought by four people on the bed. And these four people come up with a great plan to get up onto the roof, to get a hole made in the roof and then to lower this man right in front of Jesus. It's the only way. And they do this. And the man comes in front of Jesus and he needs his sins forgiven. And Jesus does that first. And he says to this man, friend, I love that word, friend. This is how Jesus feels towards this man. This is how Jesus feels towards you. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And after forgiving him, he goes on to heal this man. Friend, your sins are forgiven. In verse 27, Jesus then goes on to call Matthew or Levi, as he's also called. Now, Matthew's a tax collector. He's hated by the people because he works for the Romans. He he rips people off. He This is what many tax collectors did. And uh, they take too much money. They become very wealthy themselves. But the, the people are suffering in high taxation. So tax collectors were hated. And yet Jesus comes and forgives this man. He calls Matthew to follow him. Matthew leaves his tax booth immediately and starts following Jesus. But then Jesus goes to eat in Matthew's home. And this is really significant because in the culture, if you went to eat at someone's home, then you were almost endorsing them. You were you were willing to be associated with them. It meant a lot to go into someone's house and eat with them. But Jesus is willing to go and eat with Matthew. And Jesus wants to call you if he hasn't already. And he wants to associate with you. He's happy to be seen with you as he was with Matthew, whatever you've done in the past. He wants to be with you. He's delighted to be associated with you. He endorses you. He wants to be with you. And then verses 36 to 39, I found this really interesting as well. It's uh, Jesus talking about old garments and new garments and old wineskins and new wineskins. Let me read these few verses to you. It says this, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. It's a little bit confusing. I appreciate these few verses, but it's really interesting, especially after what we've been hearing last week. If you're at the URC meeting or if you watched online, then 
Mark Mumford was talking about the old and the new. We had a number of prophetic words about the old and the new. And here we are talking about old garments, new garments, old wineskins, new wineskins. But we've read a lot about the Pharisees in Luke chapter five, and we do throughout the Gospels. The Pharisees wanted to try to please God by somehow religiously observing every law. They thought salvation was earned that way. They became, if they weren't careful, very self-righteous and arrogant because they thought they were the best because they kept the law in the way that they did. But Jesus came with a new way. He seemed to want to prioritise sinful people over righteous people. He didn't want people to remain sinful, as we've said. He wanted repentance from people. He wanted people to turn around, to live a different way, to change their minds, to follow him. That's what repentance means. But he wanted to find these people. He wanted to forgive them where he saw this repentance. And he wanted to justify them and call them to great things like he did, as we've seen with Simon Peter. The old garment and the new garment, the old wineskin and the new wineskin, I believe talks about the old covenant and the new covenant. In other words, the old way of doing things, living by the law, trying to live in the way that the Pharisees did, observing every single law as best they could. And then the new way of doing things, which is living by grace. So the old way about rule keeping, religious observation, trying to get right with God by our works. And then the new way, all about inviting God to enter your home like Levi Matthew did, or enter your life. He will say yes, like he did with Matthew. The new way allows God to take over your life and lead you into all that's good. It's not focused on keeping rules, but it's focused on keeping in step with God, trying to live like him, not through keeping laws, but allowing him to live in us and make him more like him. So which way will you choose? Will you choose the old way of doing things by trying to keep the law that way? Or would you choose the new way, letting God enter your life and lead you into all that's good? And I think this is talking about the old and the new garments, the old and the new wineskins, talking about how you can't mix the two. It just doesn't work. You've got to decide how you want to live. And let me encourage you to live the new way, which is allowing God to live in you and lead you into all that is good. There's a man called John Newton who lived many years ago and he was heavily involved in the slave trade, bringing slaves over from on ships from Africa to the West. And um, he was a big player in that slave trade, yet he converted to Christianity in a storm. And he'd go on to write the really famous song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. He went on to write that song because the encounter he had with God and how he stopped being involved in the slave trade. He supported William Wilberforce in the abolition of the slave trade bill, which, of course, went through and brought an end to the slave trade. And John Newton said this. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner. And Christ is a great saviour. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. Here's a man who understood something about repentance, understood something about living a different way, understood something about receiving the forgiveness of God. And he went from a life of 
been involved in the slave trade to a life following Jesus. And in his old age, he was able to say that. How wonderful is that? Just as I come into land, I want to read probably one of the most famous pieces of scripture from Luke's gospel that talks about Jesus, God's forgiveness. And I'm not going to put this up on the screen, but I'd encourage you maybe just to close your eyes where you're at. And let me just read these words over you. Let's consider all that we've looked at in terms of Jesus' forgiveness. And I think it's so brilliantly summed up in this story. This is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of him will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a beautiful story of forgiveness from someone who comes before Jesus, repentant, asking for forgiveness. And Jesus offers it and will offer it every time. Just as I finish, I want to just remind us again. There's a real focus in scripture about giving forgiveness if we're going to receive God's forgiveness. Remember the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus told a story of a man who'd been forgiven a huge debt, but refused to then forgive someone who owed him a small debt. The man ended up being thrown into prison until he could pay every penny of that big debt that he owed. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, then you've been forgiven a huge debt. Everything you've ever done wrong, it's been forgiven. But if we withhold forgiveness after receiving that huge, huge, gracious 
act from God of forgiving us of everything, if we then refuse to extend forgiveness to other people, then we're like the man in this story. Forgiven of a huge debt, but unwilling to forgive anyone else. Let's receive God's forgiveness. It's free. It's there for you today. But let's also be willing to forgive. Let's remember the example of Robin Oak, who forgave that man at that press conference. Must have been incredibly difficult to do, but forgave him. That was his heart and asking that God would forgive him as well. Let's take that example and be so willing to forgive others as well. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are so ready to forgive me. Please forgive me for everything I've done that doesn't live up to your best. And please help me to be ready to forgive others for what they have done or said to me. In Jesus' name. Amen.